The Word of God is proclaimed. Our Scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Our second passage is from John chapter 20, verses 24 through 30. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, and think about what he's saying. It's easy to just read it and zone out. Think about what he's actually saying. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I don't know about you, but that does not feel like a good idea to me. Not something that I would want to do. But this is Thomas. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. This time, Thomas was with them, the disciples. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Put your finger here. And put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. The title of our message this morning is Hope for the Doubter. You may have had a conversation like the one I'm about to relay to you. Because I think that it's a pretty typical conversation. I remember moving to my new place in Pennsylvania and one of my neighbors invited me over for dinner. And I always have a hard time not talking about God when I'm with new people, but I, I was trying to be friendly and, and not bring up the Lord. And I did a really good job throughout dinner and then dinner ended and I was alone with my neighbor. His wife took the kids up and I said, tell me your thoughts about God. Pretty non-threatening, threatening question from a pastor, right? And he told me that he was raised believing in God. Until his cousin, who was young, as he described her, was, was a great person and had her whole life ahead of her, was diagnosed with an incurable disease. He watched as she suffered and died. And he said, I can't understand 
why God would allow that to happen. I believe maybe there's something out there, but I don't believe in God anymore. You know this already, but his story is not an uncommon faith story. Say, people in your friend circle, your family circle, maybe people even sitting here today in the pews or watching online might be able to relate to this type of faith story. Suffering and tragedy diminished, even extinguished your faith in God. It closed you off to the possibility of the existence of a good and loving God, the God of the Bible. Here's something else that's very interesting and you might find surprising. I've been in full-time ministry for 10 years and I'm telling you what I've witnessed is that suffering and tragedy have the power to pull people away from God, but I've seen just as frequently, even more frequently perhaps, that suffering and tragedy also has the power to bring people back to God. And this might be your story, or at least you've heard this story, that someone experienced some sort of crisis in their life. They were fine one day, and then the next day, they weren't. They had everything figured out, and then in the snap of a finger, they didn't. And they say that their newfound faith brought them back to God, that it was their faith in God that brought them through the tragedy and the crisis. In confusion and heartbreak, they were opened up to God, not closed off. So which category do you think that the disciples fell into after the death of Jesus Christ on the cross? Were they the ones who were opened up to God or closed off to God? John chapter 20 shows us that before they were opened up to God, they were closed off to God. Their faith had been diminished and even extinguished after what they had witnessed on Good Friday, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Their faith was shattered. To be really accurate, their faith was dead. And then... You know the story, right? Why not have an Easter sermon in October? We gotta end our Hope Sermon series with an Easter sermon. Then, three days after the crucifixion of Christ, after his death, after they had witnessed this horrible trauma and tragedy, things began to take a strange twist. And you know the story. Mary Magdalene showed up on the scene and she testified that she had seen the Lord. Luke 24 verse 11 tells us that the disciples deemed her words as nonsense, utter nonsense, and they didn't believe. On Easter evening, another disciple named Cleopas, who had been on the road to Emmaus, burst into the house and tells them that he had not only seen the Lord, but he had walked, talked, and eaten with the Lord. They still, the disciples, still did not believe. Then on Easter night, John 20, starting at verse 19, says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, 
peace be with you. I imagine they were really scared, and so he's, peace be with you, calm down. And after he said this, he showed them his hands, the wounds in his hands, and the wound in his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They went from fear to joy, from faithlessness to faith-filled. And Jesus says that as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. I'm sending you out with the message of salvation and forgiveness through Christ the Lord. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is resurrected from the dead and their faith is resurrected from the dead. That's how the story goes. But as we read, one of them was still struggling with doubt, unbelief, and stubborn skepticism. He's been given the name by Christians for generations as Doubting Thomas. Have you ever left anything a little bit too early? This, this story comes to mind for you sports fans, and I'll date myself. In the 90s, there was an NCAA basketball game between two college powerhouses, Duke and Kentucky. This is the first college basketball game that I ever remember watching. It was the Final Four. They were playing it in Philadelphia, and the game was over, and it seemed as if Kentucky had won. And I want to apologize for any of you Kentucky fans out there because I'm bringing up something that was tragic and traumatizing for you. The game was over. There was a, there was a, a young man who played for the Duke Blue Devils. His name was Christian Leitner. His mother was in a box at that game watching the game, and after Kentucky he scored with like 0.8 seconds left. His mom went outside to have a cigarette. She left a little bit too early. She wouldn't have known that Grant Hill was going to throw the ball the length of the court into Christian Leitner's waiting hands. He would put a juke on, turn, shoot, and make the basket one of the most perhaps memorable moments in college basketball history. And Christian Leitner's mama missed it because she was outside smoking a cigarette. Have you ever missed it? Maybe your wife went into labor and you were away on business. Maybe you just had given up and you walked out a little bit too soon and you missed it. It was a huge event. And you regret having left a little bit early. I don't know why Thomas left the disciples, but he missed it. And I imagine that he regretted going out when he went out. Maybe he just needed a little bit of fresh air, but when he came back into the house, everything had changed for the disciples. They were full of joy, and they said, we have seen the Lord. And, and I wonder if Thomas felt like maybe Jesus had purposely left him out because Thomas had all his doubts and his fears and his skepticism. And so for a week, Thomas is moping around. Unless I see the hands and put my fingers in those wounds, I will not believe. Unless I put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Unless 
God does this thing, unless God passes my test, then God cannot be real. And by the way, he's putting God to the test, and it's a test that Thomas the doubter must have thought was impossible. So at this point in the story, Thomas is obstinate. Thomas does not want to believe. I wonder if we do this. I wonder if we ever say to God, unless you fix my marriage, Lord, unless you heal my child, Lord, unless you give me children, Lord, unless you free me from my addiction, unless you give me a winning lottery ticket, I will not believe. This is an illustration. Thomas serves as an illustration for what is dead faith. And then in John chapter 20, verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again. And this time, Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said the same thing that he said the first time. Peace be with you. And then he says to Thomas, you, all right, smart Alec. Go ahead. You, sa- you said you want to put your finger in, in my hand? <laughs> put, put your finger in the wound. Hey, Thomas, here's the side. This is where they pierced me with the sword. Go ahead, put your, put your hand there. And then he rebukes him. He says, Stop doubting and believe. What I find fascinating is that in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, he comes down to his level. He doesn't hold Thomas's doubts and skepticism against him, his his unbelief. Jesus doesn't hold it against him. Jesus meets him exactly where he is. How gracious and kind is the Lord. He comes to him and meets his demand and passes his tests. And now Thomas has the irrefutable evidence that Jesus is Lord in that Thomas can now believe with full assurance. And so the question for us today in terms of practicalities, how does this scripture passage apply to your life? Are, are we, is, is the Lord calling you, is the Lord calling me to emulate Thomas and ask for a sign? Ought we put the Lord to our own personal test? Should we say, Lord, unless I will not believe? We're not being called to emulate doubting Thomas this morning. We are being called to emulate believing Thomas. Let me explain. At this point in the story, Jesus is in the process of making his 11 disciples his 11 apostles. In order to be an apostle, in order to be one of the early leaders of the church, someone who is a messenger, someone who would be sent out to the ends of the earth with the message of resurrection, the way God set it up is that the apostles had to witness the resurrection. They had to see, hear, and touch the risen Lord Jesus Christ. You say, why? I don't know, but this is the way God had done it. One of the qualifications to be an apostle was to witness the resurrection. Acts 1.20, 1 Corinthians 15, confirm it. And so the re- one of the reasons that Jesus comes down to Thomas and passes his test, shows the wounds in his hand and his side, is because Jesus was taking Thomas from unbelieving disciple to apostle. And so he meets his demand for that, for that reason. 
He's making him an apostle. When you read the Gospel of John, you see that Jesus is trying desperately to get people to see who He is. He's constantly starting sentences with the words, I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 14.9, Jesus says this about Himself. If you've seen the Father, you've seen Me. John 10.30, the Father and I are one. John 8.58, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. The reason that phrase, I am, is so important is because Jesus was referring to the same name that God had called Himself to Moses in that burning bush experience. When Moses said to the Lord God Almighty, when the Israelites asked, who, what God is sending me? What shall I say to them? And the Lord answers, I am who I am. The entire Gospel is about getting people to see who Jesus really is. And the entire book of John leads up to this moment. During my week of study, this is one thing that surprised me. When I thought about the, the Gospel of John, I thought that perhaps the climax, the pinnacle, was the raising of Lazarus. Maybe it was the raising of Jesus, right? The resurrection of Jesus Christ the Lord. What all the commentators and scholars said was that this passage is actually the climax of the book. That the whole book was leading to this scene with doubting Thomas. Why? Because it's in this scene that Doubting Thomas becomes the first person in all the Gospels to see, to get, and to say who Jesus really is. He gets it and he says it and he says these words and he's the first one to ever call Jesus Christ this name. My Lord and my God. He's the first one to call Jesus God. When Christ appeared to the ten other disciples and they rejoiced, none of them claimed that Jesus was God. It was doubting Thomas who became believing Thomas who made the ultimate expression of faith. The expression of faith that if you make, you are a Christian. You say it. You get it. Jesus is God. He is the great I am, creator of heaven and earth, sustainer of all things, ruler of all, eternal God, all-powerful, all-loving, with no beginning and no end, Jesus, my Lord and my God. And this is not just a theological statement. Thomas is saying something profound about the Trinity. Sure, we can get into the Trinity, but what he says is my my Lord and my God. It's personal. He's saying, Jesus, you're God over me. Jesus, you're, you're the God whose feet I bow out. Jesus, you're the God who's worthy of following and living for. It's a personal expression of faith. When we read the story of Doubting Thomas, no, don't, you don't need to call for more evidence 
Jesus proved who he was on the cross and through the resurrection. We have all the proof we need. It's to emulate believing Thomas, the one who says, my Lord and my God. Verse 29. Then Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Big whoop. Of course you believe. You've seen me. And then he says something about you and I. He says, you're the blessed. You know, you're blessed. Blessed are you because you haven't seen and you do believe. Jesus is pointing to our day, a day in which, and, and if Jesus has appeared to you with the uh, wounds in his hands and his side, I would love to have that conversation with you in coffee hour following the service, but assuming that you're like me and you haven't experienced the, in a, the, the physical Jesus Christ before you, he points to us and says that we're the blessed. We haven't seen it, yet we believe. And, he, you know, guys, perhaps he's not planning on showing us his physical wounds anytime soon. Based on this scripture, it, it doesn't appear as if that's the plan. But we have something else to help us in our faith. If we can't expect to see him in the physical right away, we have something else to help us strengthen our faith in good times and in bad, in suffering and on mountaintop experiences. This is what John writes in verse 31. He says that he wrote these, th these stories. He didn't include everything in his book, but he wrote these stories of, of who Jesus is and what he did. And that they're written that you may believe that Jesus is Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. If you're struggling with your faith today, if you can relate to doubting Thomas, not believing Thomas, read the stories. Listen to the testimony of the apostles. Faith comes from hearing. That is hearing the good news about Jesus Christ. Hearing brings faith. We have the Gospels. The, before the apostles wrote them, the, there, there were no written Gospels. These were written to strengthen our faith. Do what Thomas failed to do. When the apostles say, we've seen the Lord, listen to the apostles and believe the original witnesses. Experience it for yourself by taking in how Jesus treated people, talked to people, touched people, loved people. Hear the word and read it for yourselves. Second thing, how can we strengthen our faith? See how kind Jesus has been to you. What Thomas realizes when Christ comes to him and says, all right, buddy, stick it here, put it here, is that Jesus had a front row view to Thomas's doubts and skepticisms. That, that even though Thomas had rejected Christ, Christ still wanted a piece of Thomas. That even though Thomas said, I don't believe, Jesus still believed in Thomas. You doubted me and I still love you. See how kind Christ has been to you. And the last thing, 
How can we strengthen our faith in, in Christ? Look at his wounds. Jesus shows his wounds. Look at the wounds because the wounds are Christ's proof of God's love for you. That he loved us so much that while we were dead in our trespassers, still sinners unrighteous, he died for us. Look at the wounds and see his love for you. Then say like Thomas, you are my Lord and my God. The proof is not that you answered my question or passed all my silly little tests. The proof is that Jesus is Lord and God because of what he has done from the cross and that he was resurrected on the third day. We began by talking about how suffering and death can shatter or strengthen our faith. Today, let Jesus' suffering, death, and resurrection strengthen your faith and your hope in the Lord. May we all be like believing Thomas. Amen.